Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. My first ever full-time ministry job was in small-town Georgia. I had no family. I had no friends. And And a couple, they just took me under their wings and adopted me as if I was their own son, the Williams, Ken and Ann. And so Miss Ann, her love language is gifts. And one of her greatest gifts that she continues to give me to this day are her famous pound cakes. I mean, I'll show up to my house 15 years from living in Georgia, and there'll there'll be a pound cake sitting on my front door. I'm like, this is good day. Like, this is good, right? But Ken, his love language was more words of wisdom. And so throughout my time having known Ken, um, he would give me these little life lessons. And sometimes they would be a whole day's worth of activities that he would neatly tie with just a a great one-liner at the very end that would tie everything together. And so one of those days, um, he told me to be at his house at 6 a.m. with the fishing pole. So I show up, we go fishing, and we go to some ponds. And the first pond, we fished all morning and caught a handful of really big bass. It was great. It was like, this is a good fishing day, but we weren't done. So we went to another pond. In this pond, we were catching them hand over fist. None of the fish were big, but man, we were just reeling them in. Then after that, um, Ken pulled out some of Miss Ann's famous um, chicken salad sandwiches, and then he laid down and took a nap. I mean, I was like, what a life. When you get old enough, you're just like, I'm just gonna take a nap. I don't know what this guy's gonna do while I'm napping, but I gotta get some sleep. And then he woke up, and after waking up, he said, Jeff, which pond did you enjoy fishing most today? And I was like, both. And he goes, as you continue your life in ministry, quality and quantity Like, that was it. Like, that was like the life lesson. It's like ministry is about quality and quantity. And he said this whole day planned of fishing these ponds to drive that lesson home for me. And so at the time, I mean, it made sense. Like, I want to make sure that we're aiming towards the masses, but also towards those on the fringes. And we want to have some depth. But the older I've gotten, the more important that life lesson has, has been to me. And so with every life lesson, whether it's from him cleaning out closets to working in his garden or a hundred other things, every life lesson has been simple yet deeply profound. Well, in the same way, Jesus spent three years with his disciples and he had a lot of these teaching moments where he would sit down with them and teach them important things. And what we see today is a, is a teaching or a life lesson on prayer. And as we look at it, we're gonna see that the prayer is simple. It's so simple, a kid could do it and get something out of it. But the older I get in my faith, the more deeply profound I realize this prayer is. So last week, we looked at the first half. Today, we're gonna look at the back half, and we're gonna see three of the most important things we can pray for on a daily basis, All right? So three of the most important things that we can pray for on a daily basis. So the first thing to pray for, if we're gonna pray like Jesus, is strength. We need to pray for strength. Verse 11, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so take note of the word daily and the word bread. Okay, bread is a metaphor for both physical and spiritual needs. It's about physical needs, more than just food. It's also clothes, it's shelter. It's the things you need physically, for the day, but Jesus says that he is the bread of life. 
So it's also important for us to know that in the same way we need bread for physical strength, we need Christ for spiritual strength. So bread is a metaphor for physical and spiritual needs, but you'll notice that before bread, it says daily, right? That's the only time in the New Testament the word daily is used as an adjective, okay? And as we read that word daily, it's meant to draw us back to the Old Testament where Israel wandered through the desert for 40 years and had to have God daily provide manna. So the way that God operated for provisions is he didn't give them a Sam's Club run. It wasn't like, all right, there's a big storehouse here with jumbo-sized toilet paper. Like, you guys go there, load up, and then go do your thing for a couple of weeks. When you run out, come back. That's not the way God chose to operate. It was every single day they were dependent on God for their physical and spiritual needs. And so what this, this rhythm did of daily bread was it drilled into their minds and their lives a continual and conscious dependence on God, right? And so the purpose of it being daily was to drill into their lives the continual and conscious dependency that they had on God. And that's the way that we were created to operate, dependent on God for all things. And I think about the the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority. Did you know that 90% of Tennessee's power is dependent on TVA facilities? Right, so 90% of our power is dependent on the TVA. I wake up every morning and I pull up my phone and guess what? It's fully charged if I plugged it in, right? Like my toothbrush is charged, ready to go. I can go downstairs, coffee pot, turn it on, stove, crank that thing on, fix my pancakes. Like there are so many things that I'm using power for, but guess what? I never wake up and go, man, I'm so glad that hydroelectric jam was working last night. Like, like I'm just, it's out of sight and out of mind. And we're not created to treat God like a power plant. He's not meant to be out of sight and out of mind in our lives. We need to have this continual conscious dependence of how we need him. But I think this is how we typically operate. Instead of praying to God for all things, what we typically do is, is some of us, we think that we can, just, we can just go at it on our own. It's like, I don't need God. I've got skills. I've got smarts. I've got strategies. I've got whatever. And like, I can just do this on my own. And other of us, like we operate where we think, I just don't wanna bother God. Do you, ever, do you guys ever feel that way? You're like, I just, like he's got a lot going on in the world. Like, I'm not gonna bother him with my little stuff. If something big happens, I'll come to him, but not, I just don't wanna bother him. And when we think either we are gonna bother God or we think that we can do life on our own, what happens is we go days and then weeks and then months without ever asking God for help until things get out of control until life falls apart. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves going, God, I could really use your help right now. God, like if you, if you could show up, that would be huge, right? It's like, we think life is fine, we think life is fine, and then a kid goes wayward, right? Prodigal son, and you're like, God, if you could show up, I would really need your help. Or you think you're fine, you think you're fine. Then the person that you thought you were gonna marry breaks up with you and you're like, God, like, could you show up? Or you think you're fine, you think you're fine, all of a sudden your company starts doing layoffs and you're looking at the future and you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it, right? And, and so here's what we need to know. When we pray for daily bread, what we are doing is we're recognizing 
that we are just as dependent on God when life is easy as we are when life is falling apart. We need to realize in praying for daily bread, we are recognizing that we are just as dependent on God when life is easy as we are when life is hard or when things are falling apart. We are fully and continually dependent on God for the day's strength, both physically and spiritually. So when we begin to pray this way, asking God for the small things and the big things, it creates in us an awareness of God's presence. We realize that God's not distant and disinterested, but he cares about the details of our life. It creates in us an awareness of our needs. So I try to put this into practice today. I was like, okay, what do I need from God to preach a sermon? Like, what, God, what do I need? And so if you, if you just opened up Jeff's prayer journal, you're like, I'm gonna sneak in here and read this thing, All right? Most of my prayers, top line, it has like the date. Then below that, it says, Father, comma, and then I pray. By the end of one page, I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen. One page prayers. That's pretty standard in my life. Today, I had one page, one page just on what's needed from God for a sermon to happen. Like if one of those things doesn't take place, I'm not preaching right now. And I was like, whew, like I am way more dependent on God to do what I do right now than I realized, right? Like we need to realize that we have a a conscious awareness of our daily needs for all things. And then what that does is it creates in us a greater gratitude for God and his good gifts. So we wanna pray every day for strength from God. The second prayer is a prayer for grace. Look at verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, now I've wrestled with this in the past and I know that some people are wrestling with this today, right? Why do we ask for forgiveness every day if we're already forgiven, right? Like if if the cross finished the work. If we don't, if Jesus has forgiven us for every sin I have committed, every sin I am committing, and every sin I will commit, then why should I ask for forgiveness today if I'm already forgiven? Like that just seems like an unnecessary step. And so maybe you've wondered that. Well, here's what we need to know. Praying for forgiveness every day creates in us a greater appreciation for God's grace. And when we have a greater appreciation for God's grace, it creates true life change. So there's typically three ways that people can change. Like, like, how do I change? Like, I wanna be a different person. Some people change through grit, right? That's your Dave Goggins. Like, like I'm just gonna take souls. Like, some of you are like, who's Dave Goggins? Other of you are like, I know that guy, right? Like, stay hard, right? And like, some of you are, and then other people, it's like, you're not, maybe it's not grit for you, but it's, it's guilt. Have you ever heard people just talk about all the things they should be doing I should be doing this. I should be doing that, all right? And so you, you just, you do things because you feel like you should and there's guilt driving it. And so, and, and so those two things, grit and guilt, they can make you better physically and they can make you better civilly, right? Like they can make you like a, a better athlete. It can make you a better like workout person. It can make you a better person in society because you're the type of person that other people wanna be around. But those two things are powerless to change us spiritually. You see, the only thing that can change us spiritually is God's grace working in our lives. So let me tell you, this is, this is a rhythm that all Christians need to know. 
So this is one of the most important rhythms that I could give you. So if you're a note taker, this is huge, okay? I wanna give you a daily rhythm or a Christian rhythm that will help you experience grace in a truly transformative way, right? So the first thing is we wanna see God more holy, right? So the first part of this rhythm is to see God more holy. We wanna know God for who he is in the heights of his holiness. So when you begin, like, so say you look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Okay, if God's our heavenly Father, that means he's not distant and disinterested. He didn't create the world and walk away, but he's still active, right? And as a good dad, he longs for us to thrive in our humanity, right? He wants us to thrive. He wants us to, to prosper. He wants, us, he wants our well-being. But if he's our Father in heaven, right? That means that not only is he near, but he is high and above and he's in complete control. Therefore, he is the only one that has the power to guarantee our well-being in life. And so this is just one little practice of understanding God's holiness. Like we want to understand like he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-good, he's just, he's, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's like just fill in the blank. And so as we begin to understand who God is, all of a sudden, we're like, man, God is more holy than I can wrap my mind around. So we begin by, by trying to see God more holy. The second part of this rhythm is we wanna see our sin more vividly, okay? So in, in response to seeing God's holiness, we also wanna know the depth of our sin. And so we're like, okay, what is sin? Well, it literally means to miss the mark. It's like an archer popping a bow. And if you're like, I don't think Jeff shoots a bow. That was bad technique. It's true. I don't know how to shoot a bow, right? But it's like, it's missing the mark, okay? And so that shows us that sin is our inability to meet God's perfect standard. But it's deeper than that. There's transgression. Transgression is literally seeing a boundary line that you're not supposed to cross and saying, I'm gonna cross it. This is when we sin willingly, and then there's something deeper. There's iniquity. Iniquity shows us that sin goes beyond our behavior. It's a spiritual condition we're born with. It's like a disease. And all of a sudden, we start to realize the depths of our sin stuff. We're like, man, the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness is so big that like, I don't even know what to do with it. All right? so, so those are two things. See God more holy, sin more vividly, but here's the beautiful news of the gospel is the cross fills the gap. And so, so when you think about this, if your sin is small, you'll see your savior is small. But if your sin is big, you'll see your savior is bigger. So we wanna have a rhythm of seeing God more holy, our sin more vividly, so we can see the cross more gloriously. You see, as we daily confess sin, not just a blanket, forgive me for this, God, but truly confess the sin in our lives, we realize that God's grace is bigger, that the cross is bigger. And when we begin to understand what we've been forgiven of and what the blood of Christ washes away, it has an effect of changing our lives where we begin to follow God, not out of guilt. I should read my Bible. I should do this. I should do that but we find ourselves changing where I get to do these things. These things become our desires and our delight because of God's grace working in our lives. So that's why you should pray for forgiveness on a daily basis to have a greater appreciation for what you've been forgiven of. Don't let Jesus be small in your life. Don't let the cross be small in your life, all right? But there's two parts to this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so as Christians, 
It's important to know this. When God's forgiveness begins to flow in us, it's not meant to be um, something that we keep to ourselves, that we selfishly hold on to. You see, as God's forgiveness flows in us, it should begin to flow through us to others. You see, in the same way that we've been forgiven much, we should forgive much. But if, if we were to talk about the, this today, like this is a sermon in itself, but I'm gonna try to zero in here for a second. If we were to talk about the amount of people today that are holding on to grudges or struggling to forgive, I feel like that line would be around the room. I know, like, I get it. There's a huge difference between forgiving your friend because they hurt your feelings and forgiving someone who's abused you or taken your purity or done something horrific to you, right? Like, there's a huge difference between forgiving someone who rear-ended you at a red light and forgiving someone who has completely destroyed your family financially where you'll never recover, right? Like, and so a lot of us, I think we're like 99% forgiving people. Like, we can forgive a lot, and I think a lot of us are forgiving constantly, but I believe a lot of us also have that one thing that we're still holding on to. And if we lined up the room and just put up a mic, we, just, like, we put up a mic right here, and people got up and began to share the things that, that happened to them, they're struggling to forgive, I'm willing to bet most of us would go, I don't know what to do with that, because that's heavy. And if they don't forgive, I kind of get it. I think that's a, but here's, here's what I want you guys to hear me say today. Okay, I am convinced that one of the biggest reasons we struggle to experience the nearness of God in our lives is because we have someone we're not forgiving. Right, I'm convinced of that. Now, this is, if you were to look at my faith journey, so I gave my life to Christ in 1992, was baptized in 95, and now we're in 2022. Along the way, there's mile, there are mile markers in my faith journey. Two summers ago, or not this past summer, but the last summer, a mile marker for me was understanding what grieves the Holy Spirit, okay? So looking at Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And so I did a deep dive into what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It means to suppress the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? So when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we suppress the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? It keeps us from feeling connected to God. And do you know one of the ways we grieve the Holy Spirit? Unforgiveness. When we choose not to forgive someone, when we hold on to that grudge, what we are doing is we are grieving the Holy Spirit and we are suppressing his power and presence in our lives. This is a serious offense that we need to take, we need to take serious, you guys, right? And so I believe that every one of us in here, we need to be serious about walking out, not only receiving God's grace, but extending God's grace to others. But maybe you're sitting here and you're like, like, I don't know how to do that. I mean, like I said, I'm willing to bet most of us that are struggling with unforgiveness, it's really complex. I mean, like if we got into the details of it, it would be a lot of tears and a lot of hurt and a lot of hard stuff, right? Okay, so how do we begin to walk in forgiveness? Well, let me just mention a few things, okay? One, it's important to know what forgiveness is not. Okay, so hear me on this. We need to know what forgiveness 
is not, okay? So forgiveness is not turning a blind eye. Forgiveness isn't just being like, that just didn't happen. Like, I'm, just not, I'm gonna ignore it. It's out of sight, out, no, 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 no. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not excusing the action. I think that's one of the hardest things with my kids. Like, a kid will do something, like punch another kid in the face, and you're like, all right, Whit, forgive your sister for punching you. He's like, it's okay. It's like, no, it's not okay. We're not excusing it. Like, forgiveness does not mean excusing the action, all right? So it's not an excuse. It's, it's not trust. I think that's important. Like, when you forgive someone, that doesn't mean you're trusting them. Like, if someone's really hurt you, like, you're not like, all right, take my kids. I trust you. It's like, no, no, like, I'm protecting my kids from keeping them from you. I, I forgive you, but I don't have to trust you yet. You got to earn that back. Right? So I'm not saying you have to trust these people. It's not reconciliation even. Like reconciliation are two parties coming back together. Two parties. Your forgiveness, you forgiving someone, only you can control. You can't control their response. Right? Like so you can't let your healing be dependent on someone else's response. Like you can forgive without experiencing reconciliation. Right, so those, that's, forgiveness is not those things, but here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards that person or that group of people and to give it to God, okay? So forgiveness is not turning a blind eye. It's not denying that something happened. It's not excusing it, forgetting it, trusting the person or reconciliation, but it is a choice to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards that person and choosing to give it to God. And if you wanna take that step today, like maybe you're sitting here today and you're going like, I know the Holy Spirit's being suppressed in my life. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, it's been a long time since I've felt near to God and, and, and I guarantee you it's tied to this issue. If that's you, like, let me, let me encourage you with something here. That first step is hard, but the, the way that you become freed to take that first step, right? the way that you can experience the freedom to take that first step is begin to focus more on what Christ has done for you and less on what that person has done to you. Right? When you start the prayer with, forgive me my debt, God, where have I sinned? Where have I transgressed? What's my iniquity? When you begin to dive deep into what Jesus has forgiven you of and you focus more on what Christ has done for you, you'll begin to find some freedom to extend forgiveness to others. So focus less on what they've done to you and more on what Christ has done for you. Look, maybe you're, you're here today and this is, some of you are doing fine right now and others of you, your heart's beating a little bit faster because that person's name came to your mind and all this bitterness rose up, right? You know, like, you know who I'm talking to right now. If it's you, your heart's kind of beaten. I'm pleading with you to begin this journey of forgiveness. Pleading with you. And if you need help and you're like, I just, I'm struggling, we have a group of people that wanna pray over you this morning. We have people that want to come before God's throne room on your behalf and pray for your strength. So during communion, just in this corner, where the windows of Roan and Main Street meet, there's a prayer team. Please, if this is you, if your heart's beating fast right now, if your bitterness is rising up right now, 
Would you have the courage to walk over and say, I need prayer because I can't do this on my own? Please don't leave here today without being prayed for, okay? So we wanna pray for daily strength. We wanna pray for daily grace. And we wanna pray for daily protection. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I wanna take note of those two words, temptation and evil. When we think about the evil in the world, it's important to know there's one reality, God's reality, but there are two realms. There's a spiritual realm and a physical realm. Okay, so we live in the physical realm, but there's a spiritual realm. And we need to be aware of its activity in the world. And so there, there are two ditches that people tend to fall into, right? So, so one ditch is that everything is a demonic attack, okay? It's like, my car died, there's a demon in the engine. It's like, or the battery's four years old and you're on borrowed time. Or it's like, my stomach's messed up and the demon's got me. It's like, did you have Chipotle? Like, it could have been E. coli, I don't know. Like, just a, just a thought, eat barbs, right? Like, like... I like Chipotle too, all right? Like, it's like, like, there's not necessarily a demon in everything, but then the other ditch is like nothing spiritual. Like the other ditch is like, it's like, no, everything is only what I can see, what I can touch, what I can experience, what I can test with my five senses, and that's it. There's two ditches. But we need to, we need to understand like, hey, there's, there's a way to live in the middle that recognizes not everything's a demonic attack, but there's very much a spiritual realm that is at work behind the scenes in our lives, and so this summer, I was on sabbatical, uh, 12 weeks. And if you were to say, Jeff, like, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you had? Right, I, I landed on three things that God really drove home for me this summer. One is the power of God's word. So if, if you, like, I'm telling you, First John, I feel like a bull in a rodeo getting ready to let out of the cage. Like, I'm coming out hard next week. You wanna be here, all right? Like, like uh, God's word is powerful, it's transformative, and I can't wait just to settle into a book and let you guys experience that, okay? All right, the second thing is the importance of our identity in Christ. But the third thing was the reality or a heightened awareness to the spiritual realm. Okay, God really exposed me to some things that gave me a greater awareness of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And so I don't, I don't wanna go into too many details. Maybe you're like, Jeff, I'd love to get coffee with you about this because this is, but like my family, not, not like Lucy and I and our kids, but my sister and her kids went through some stuff that like I'm talking, I don't think Emily Rose, the movie, can truly capture what their family was going through. I'm talking, I'm talking like pictures, live shot pictures of my niece sitting there, no one around her and just having scratch marks appear on her. She's freaking out. Like I'm, telling, I'm telling you, there was demonic stuff happening. And I could go into more details about this. Let me, let me just say, like, this is a side note, right? If you're toying around with torrent cards, white magic, palm reading and stuff like that, you might think it's innocent. I'm telling you, it's deeply spiritual and it's dangerous, you need to stop. If you're like, Jeff, you're crazy, dude. It's just selling fun. I'm telling you, I probably would've been that same guy, but you, like, you talk to my niece and see what she went through and tell me this stuff is just innocent magic or innocent crap. I'm telling you, it is dangerous, it's demonic, and you need to stop. So I, I'm just gonna, like, maybe you're here today and you're like, like, you know who you are. Like, if someone's in here and you're toying with that stuff, please, like, 
realize that there is a spiritual realm and you might be tapping into something that you're bringing upon yourself that could wreck you, all right? So I feel like God has given me this this heightened awareness to to the way that the spiritual realm is working. But here's 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 what I realized in that. Why is it that it seldom becomes public and problematic? Like, why is it that it's so seldomly Like, it's not public. It's not publicly problematic. Because the vast majority of spiritual warfare happens behind the scenes. The vast majority of spiritual warfare is subtle, and it serves the purpose to tempt you in such a way that your faith is just weakened a little bit. And it tempts you again to weaken your faith a little bit. And so what Jesus is doing in this prayer of protection is he is giving us the tools necessary to fight the vast majority of the spiritual influences that are coming at us trying to weaken our faith. All right, so so let's, let's look at how Jesus explains this to us. Some of you are like totally lost now. You're like, what's white magic? All right, like <laughs> Google. Um, the guy's crazy. I'm not coming back to that church. Um, but let me show you how Jesus walks us through this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys a theological question here. And some of you guys are gonna be like, I'm not answering it because I don't wanna get it wrong. Others of you are gonna know the answer right off the bat. Okay, so here's my theological question. Can God tempt us? Anybody wanna go for it? No, all right? Like, can God tempt us? No, all right, good. James 1.13, God can't tempt us. Now I'm gonna give you a yes question. Here's the answer, yes, Okay. Will God test us? Yes, you guys are sharp, sharp, sharp church, right? God cannot tempt us, but he will test us. So why does Jesus say, lead us not into temptation if God can't tempt us? Here's what you need to know. Every test has the potential to become a temptation. Every test has the potential to become a temptation, Right? And so what happens are tests that God gives serve the purpose of strengthening our faith, while temptations are from the spiritual realm on the dark side of things and serve the purpose of weakening our faith. So here's how this works. Everything in life is a test. There's the test of prosperity, okay? The test of prosperity where everything is going well. You've got a good reputation. You've got a good job. You've got wealth. You've got like everything that you want in life. Things are going good. It's like people look at you and you're like, you've got it figured out. Like the test of prosperity, the test is will you thank God for his good gifts? Like the test is will you look to God and be like, God, thank you. Like, I don't deserve this. I couldn't have earned this on my own without you working through me. Like, God, thank you. That's the test. But that test can become a temptation where you think, you know what? I don't think I need God in my life. Like, I'm doing pretty good without him. I stopped going to church. I really kind of pulled away from my small group. I don't know when the last time I spent time in prayer and God's word was, but look how good life's going. Like, I don't know if I really even need this stuff anymore. All of a sudden, it's become a temptation that's serving to weaken your faith. Okay, so the test of prosperity can become the temptation. Or think about the test of despair. The test of despair is when everything falls apart. Like your child gets diagnosed with something that's like terminal, right? Or your marriage falls apart and your spouse leaves you. Or your kids walk away or the, the person that you 
thought you would get married to break up, like whatever it is, like the test of despair is will you trust God and his wisdom? God, I don't get this. God, I'm falling apart. God, I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna make it till tomorrow, but I believe you're good and I trust your wisdom. You see, the, the test serves the purpose of strengthening your faith. The temptation, though, is to say, God, I'm pissed at you. And God, I feel completely hopeless and I think I'm just gonna walk away from you. You, you see, all of a sudden, the, the test serves the purpose of strengthening your faith, but that test can become a temptation that'll weaken your faith. You see, we need to know that the vast majority of the evil in the world that's trying to pull you away from God is behind the scenes, and it's simply taking God's tests of prosperity or despair and trying to turn them to temptations to weaken your faith. We need to be aware of this. And so, so if these are the th three, three of the most, not just the three definitive, but three of the most important things we can pray for on a daily basis, what do we do with this, all right? Here's what I want you to know. Um, life lessons with Ken. Every life lesson that Mr. Ken gave me, like it's been 15 years of these life lessons, not one of them have I ever moved on from. Not one life lesson have I been like, all right, I got that one, now I'm moving on. Every single one is a lesson I've only grown deeper into, okay? In the same way, the Lord's Prayer is not something you understand well enough to recite in a crowd in case it starts getting recited so you don't look like an idiot. It's something that we want to grow deeper into. I call this the TI-83 principle, right? When I was in high school, I received my first TI-83 plus calculator, I don't know what TI-83 we're on now. It's like probably it's like an 87, who knows, right? But that calculator, I mastered that thing. Like I could use it to solve a matrix equation for algebra two. I could use it for pre-cal. I could use it for calculus in college, some economic stuff. Like I even had games hidden on it. Like I could, I, like the teacher looked at it. What are you doing, Jeff? Like I could quickly turn it off and get back to the equation. Like I had that, ca that calculator, <sighs> Texas Instruments, all right? But once I finished college, do you know what I did with that calculator? No clue. It served a purpose to get me through school. And once I got out of school, I've never thought about that thing again, right? I think a lot of us think that this type of prayer or the type of life lessons that Jesus teaches us are kind of like that calculator. Once we get them, we move on. But they're not meant to be that way. They're meant to be things we grow deeper into. And so the Lord's Prayer, I wanna encourage you, whether you're, for the first time, learning to pray, let it be simple to you. But if you're deeper in your faith, hey, I'm telling you, like, this is something that, that you don't move on from. There are layers and layers and layers of depths for you to mine out and to explore. So I'd encourage you this week, begin to let these be your daily petitions. And when you pray for today's bread, Start to list out what you need for the day. Just let God bring to mind where you need help. When you pray for forgiveness, start listing out the specific things that you need forgiveness of. And remember that Jesus' blood has washed those all away, that he died for every single one of those things so you wouldn't have to carry the guilt and the shame and the penalty. And as you pray for protection, ask God to give you eyes to see where life is throwing you tests of prosperity or despair and ask God to help you approach those in a way that strengthens your faith and not weaken them. 
But let's be people who are praying like Jesus prayed so that we can be a part of what he's doing in the world. God, thank you for this prayer. We wanna be a church that is built by discipleship and fueled by prayer. And God, we wanna be people that pray like Jesus. And so God, this week, um, help us not to treat you as someone who's out of sight and out of mind. God, give us a, a greater awareness of how you care about the details of, of everything and that you're present and you're active and, and deeply interested. And, and God, let us come to you for all things. So God, give us strength. God, give us grace and give us protection so that we can experience your nearness and live like you. God, it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.